Hello and welcome to the eighth episode of the Youth Work State of Mind podcast, the podcast for anyone interested or involved with Christian youth work. Joining me for every episode is the youth advisor for Blackburn Diocese, Ben. How you doing, Ben? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Just shut down all my apps on my computer that go in the middle of things. So I'm good to go. Good to go. How are you today, my friend? Yes, I'm doing all right. Thank you. It's it's only taken me eight episodes to uh, get my beard to a nice place. Only eight episodes. You've had the beard envy along the way, though. I have had some beard envy along the way. There have been some good beards. No beards today, though. Um, I'm the only beard. I, I feel like you should grow a beard. I, I'd love to. It's a genuine love. But for those of you that can't see, I'm just demonstrating where there are patches. <laughs> and what that means is that I, I look both ill and like I'm trying too hard if I grow a beard. So um, it has been attempted. It doesn't suit me. Fair enough. Bollockly challenged in places. <laughs> okay. I think we'll move on. Um, I would. Every, I would. <laughs> every week we have some guests on to talk about different aspects of youth ministry and to uh, have a bit of fun along the way. Today we're going to look at how to do Sundays well and to make them accessible for young people and as we do for every episode we have some fantastic people to talk it through with us so please introduce yourselves by telling me your name who you work for or what you do and your answer to this question when you're presented with a breakfast sandwich fillings you can decide what sauce do you put on it is it ketchup brown sauce or something else Hello, I'm Susie Mapledorum. I'm the Diocesan Youth Officer for the Diocese of Manchester. Woo-hoo! Friends from merely across the border. So I've worked for Manchester Diocese now for nearly 12 years and love it, supporting the work in our churches and our schools. Magnificent, get to do some residentials when we're not in extraordinary times such as now. I've just finished my watching the Netflix series, Designated Survivor, which has made me want to become the President of the United States of America. If I was presented with a breakfast sandwich, I think what I'd like in it was probably some, definitely an egg, but not a really runny one. I'd probably not like bacon because even though bacon's delicious, it'll get very salty. Probably a sausage, but nothing too runny. And it's ketchup for me every time, 100%. Ketchup. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it has to be Heinz. Sorry. Oh, right. We're branding now. Okay. Well, hopefully we can get some sort of a sponsorship deal with Heinz. <laughs> they're only in Wigan, so... <laughs> exactly, they're in our diocese, so I'm passionate. Hello, I'm Philip North, and I'm the Bishop of Burnley, which is Lancashire's only Premier League town. And uh, as a bishop, I work as kind of leader in the church across the whole of Lancashire. And as I sit here in this podcast, I'm feeling two emotions. One emotion is jealousy, because I'm very jealous of Susie's surname. Oh. I've got a really boring surname, North. How dull is that? I wish I were called Philip Maple Dorham. I think that's a very splendid surname indeed. It's syllabic <laughs> and lovely and sounds great. So I'm jealous of that. I'm also very relieved that this is a sound-only podcast because in lockdown, I tried to cut my own hair this morning and it's not good news. So my hair looks even worse than Ben's beard. And in terms of breakfast sandwiches well it just depends on the filling doesn't it if it's bacon or sausage it's got to be a bit bit of brown sauce if it's egg not ketchup the combination of egg and ketchup is an offense to the lord (laughs) 
It could be. It could be the unforgivable sin. In fact. <laughs> With egg, maybe a little bit of marmite. Oh, wow! That is different. Yeah, I, I could work with that, actually. <laughs> I think I might even try that. I am a Marmite fan, so I, that yeah, that's got mileage, I think. I'll tell you what's yummy. Scrambled egg with a bit of Marmite on the toast. That is very nice. Just going to make a quick note of that. <laughs> <laughs> Susie, come an hour and ask time. It's like, I'm off. You literally think I'm pretending you're writing this down, but I literally have just written Marmite and egg. <laughs> In- <laughs> Thank you. Going forward. My work here is done. Fantastic. Dave, I get a sense you're a brown sauce kind of guy. Well, I gave you that impression. <laughs> I mean, no one else can see this apart from the three of us here, but your face when Susie said ketchup was a picture. <laughs> no, brown sauce, the only sauce that matters. You know, you can get fruity brown sauce, which is great because it's also one of your five a day. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it doesn't, it doesn't have like one of those really kind of, I don't know how to put it without saying it like this, but slightly bile aftertastes where it just kind of burns. You mean it tastes of sick? Yeah, basically is what I'm saying. <laughs> Just say it as it is, Ben. It's a podcast. You can. <laughs> I mean, I can, but I might ruin our sponsorship from HP. So I'm a concerned, really. I'd love it if they were listening in. I'd be so thrilled. Yeah, <laughs> they, they scan youth work, Christian youth work podcasts for <laughs> the slander and um, and promotion. I believe it's the only type of podcast they listen to. <laughs> So we start this episode with online laughs and uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. We've all been online and we found something that's uh, made us laugh that's uh, sometimes somewhat connected to Christianity, mostly, but if it isn't, that's okay. So I believe Bishop Philip is going to go first. So uh, what have you found that's made you laugh? Mine will win the prize for the most tenuous connection to Christianity. Um, Last March, (laughs) I met a guy called Steve at a mission. I only met him for about half an hour at a men's breakfast. And I don't know his surname. I don't know where he lives, except it's somewhere near Hull. But ever since then, we've been swapping jokes and memes on our phones. We've got this relationship, which is solely about sending each other jokes. There's nothing more to it than that. <laughs> and it's not because, you know, as a bishop, we started with all sorts of pious stuff. But it must be said, as the year's gone on, it's gone rather down market. And this is his latest. This guy's saying, I've accidentally swallowed a lot of Scrabble tiles. My next trip to the bathroom could spell disaster. (laughs) (laughs) So there's absolutely no Christian content whatsoever, except uh, that Steve is, at least I hope he is, a Christian. Other than that, it's just a good old-fashioned bit of English toilet humour. Love it. Got to appreciate a bit of old-fashioned toilet humour now and then. (laughs) Are you going to bring a slightly upmarket, Susie? I feel that that's upmarket. It's good quality humour that I love it. For some reason, I find all of the little videos and memes of people dressed up in inflatable dinosaur costumes ridiculously hilarious. <laughs> There's something about the way they walk in them or skate in them or backflip into a small boat on a pond in them that I just can't stop watching. And uh, I think I maybe ha- took up maybe 40 minutes of a day while I just had it running in the background while I was maybe in a, I oh, know, but not so which meeting I was in, uh, probably some of my colleagues might be listening. Uh, <laughs> anyway, particularly love the one where, if you've seen it, the three matching dinosaur-suited children go to the airport to meet their grandma, and grandma comes through arrivals dressed in a dinosaur inflatable outfit too. Nice. Absolutely love that. I think there's a message 
to the church on welcoming in that somewhere. But the most recent one I found, which wasn't people dressed up as dinosaurs, but similar dinosaur prehistoric theme, was a meme of a man standing with his arms kind of wide open, shouting at three, maybe teenage age Tyrannosaurus Rexes. Rexi? I don't know what the plural is for Tyrannosaurus Rexes. Regays. Regays. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Probably love that more than the meme, actually. <laughs> and the youth pastor seeks to control the youth group. I laughed at it and then I just thought, oh, I'd really love a youth group <laughs> to come back and <laughs> do that kind of nonsense and show those kind of pictures and laugh at them together. So, yeah, roll on. If you if you get feel a bit low one day, I highly recommend ice skating dinosaur costumes and particularly the one of the dinosaur who takes a run for a small boat and double somersaults into a small one but i don't really get that because all the youth groups i've ever run have been perfectly behaved they've (laughs) been immaculately turned out they've always been (laughs) utterly compliant and they've been (laughs) joined it with other activity never complained perfect i've never run perfect youth groups susie so (laughs) i have much to learn much to learn I saw an excellent person in, in a dressing an inflatable dinosaur on TikTok. They set up like this kind of dinosaur Jurassic Park themed thing outside of their house, you know, with inflatable people. And one of them was dressed up in this inflatable costumes. A kid went to go and see and check out all the things. And then suddenly out of nowhere, the inflatable t-rex starts chasing the kid who has absolutely <laughs> no idea what's going on and why oh, i love it it's being um, chased by a dinosaur but that was quite funny sorry i felt a little bit bad just laughing then, just in case that small child was really scared and, and had a kind of pretty traumatic experience from that i apologize if they were <laughs> there's just a whole area of life i'm missing out on here isn't there relating to inflatable dinosaurs <laughs> these are just whole dimensions of human existence that are lost to me I'm going to make good immediately <laughs> as soon as I've had my scrambled egg and HP sauce sandwich. <laughs> right on to inflatable dinosaurs on YouTube. You can, you can watch it while eating it as well. Yeah, good plan. It's the problem with being a bishop, you get so culturally irrelevant and out of date. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hashtag you in. It was too long. You took too long sorry, to say yeah, that. Sorry. <laughs> That second, the extra second of silence gave it away. <laughs> it, was like, it was like a bit of a hashtag tumbleweed moment. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no one knows how to respond to it. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I love you. <laughs> when you edit that, Dave, just take that. Yeah, take that. Take yeah. that, that scare <laughs> cap out of yeah. <laughs> So we've reached a part of the podcast where we delve into this week's topic, which is how to do Sundays well and how to make them accessible for young people. Now, Sundays are the traditional landing spot for church services, and this is still very much the case for the majority of churches, but some churches don't meet on Sundays. So what we're focusing on is the main service of the week. That's what we mean by when we say Sundays. So here's our first question, and I'll go straight to Bishop Philip on this one. How can churches use their main service time on Sundays to best engage, inspire, and encourage the faith of all ages who attend their services? It's such a massive question. I could spend the next day talking about that, if you like. I think, though, you've got to start by thinking, what is worship doing? And I think very often we 
mistake the primary purpose of worship. People planning or leading worship think they've got to entertain or they think they've got to whip up emotion or they think they've got to hold attention the whole time. Actually, I think worship is primarily about obedience. It's not about God entertaining and cheering us up. It's about us offering our lives to God. And I think we need to start with some kind of rootedness and integrity in what it is that we're trying to do when we worship. And actually, there's a balance, isn't there? You know, obviously, if you make worship completely boring, you're going to alienate young people. But at the same time, we shouldn't entirely wrap our worship around young people because young people need to be formed in worship, just as we all need to be formed in worship. Worship is changing us. Now, I come from a tradition where, which is kind of rooted in the Eucharist. You know, Eucharist will be the main act of worship. And it's, there's many ways in which you can engage young people in Eucharistic worship. Um, and the best way with any teenager is to give them a job, isn't it? You get them singing or you get them serving or you get them doing the welcome or you get them reading or you just get engage them and involve them and use them. But um, at the same time, that worship is forming those young people. They're giving their lives across. They're being in part formed and converted more deeply to Christ by what worship is doing. So I think, you know, I'm sure this conversation will broaden out, but I think it needs to start by a rootedness in the way that, you know, worship isn't there to entertain us. We're there out of obedience. It's there to form and change us. Yeah, I absolutely completely agree. And I think <laughs> it's hard to follow that really at all. Um, <laughs> that's, that's wisdom with a capital W. And I think that has to be the place to start. And I think I would say that we mustn't just assume that young people all worship in a certain style. I think I come across people who say, oh, well, you know, we, we want to do something a bit more kind of, you know, energetic and, you know, jumping up and down and, you know, to engage young people with an assumption that that's how all young people worship. And it's not. My experience has, has informed that, having had the privilege of journeying with lots of different young people from lots of different traditions. And I think we have to start with young people. I don't think we we shouldn't be kind of doing worship to them, but doing worship with them and understanding what their perceptions, their experiences, their understanding of worship is. And that can be extremely broad. I think this idea, just because they're young, they want to, you know, be in a certain style of worship that might be charismatic, but that's not the case. Anyone planning worship or engaged in it at all should be obsessed with a balance and the balance is between what is accessible and what is transcendent. So, you know, you want you, you need to engage people and capture attention and then you need to be taking people somewhere else. And that getting that right, you know, if you just emphasise too much the transcendent, it becomes distant from people and mystifies and bores. If you focus too much on what is engaging, it can become banal and mundane and, and dull. You've got to balance the two. And there's two things I think that, that you need to focus on constantly. One is quality, you know, quality in absolutely everything, from the welcome to what happens when you come through the front door, to the layout and appearance of the building, to the music, to the preaching, a real focus on quality, because God deserves our best. And actually, young people expect quality now. So quality is a, a really, really key thing. The other thing I think is, is about richness and the richness of the, of, of the worship experience, which ideally engages every sense and every emotion and every part of oneself. And I think there's a place for jumping up and down and sheer joy in worship. There's also a place for silence in worship and a place for the transcendent. One thing that always strikes me is how much young people love silence, as long as they're introduced to it well, as long as it's planned, managed silence. If it seems it's a gap, that does nobody any good. But actually using simple meditative techniques or using silence wisely, Young people have such noisy lives and something constantly in their ear. Actually, the chance just to relax and sit still and be calm is stunning. And that's all in our tradition. All this richness is in our tradition. So we need to be shameless in plundering the tradition, I think. Mm -hmm. 
We had just that experience with a bunch of young people we took to Teze. In fact, we take a bunch every year and we missed it last summer a lot. And one of the things that they talk about the most is the silence in the three services through the day. So every in every service at Teze, if you've not been before, there's like seven minutes of silence. And one young person said one year, how is it that the silence gets shorter as the week goes on? Mark Davis, who I was out there, we said to them, well, actually, it stays exactly the same length, <laughs> pretty much. It's just that you're adjusting to it. And it was really interesting, kind of the conversation we would have afterwards about them proactively thinking about, well, how do I find that silence when I go back into the busyness of my life, into the freneticness of my demands upon me in the midst of my expectations? And actually, it had a it had a, a massively transformative impact on their understanding of who God is, but also on their spiritual well being as well. And I think that whole sense of and it, all different experiences of worship can, I think, create that. But that particular moment for some young people and some who who wouldn't normally go to church as well was, was such a huge privilege, really. It was just extraordinary. We underestimate young people all the time, don't we? 100%. So that's, that's the other temptation, is to make everything really simplistic and banal. Yeah. Young people are fiercely bright and they're dealing with a conceptual all the time in other areas of their life. Um, and we need, we, need, you know, we need to feed the whole person. Yeah, there's a, there's a time for noise and jumping up and down. There's a time for very simple, memorable messages. But there's also time to go deeper and you know, present the challenge of the gospel and the commitment of the gospel. And never, ever, ever underestimate a young person or patronise. That's very, the very worst thing. Preach it! <laughs> uh, one thing that happened in the church a long time ago, sorry, I, I, think I absolutely completely agree with that. One day... A gentleman got up to do the children's talk and he said, and this is an example that you were just giving Bishop Philip, um, and he said, today I'm going to, invited all the children up the front and said, I'm going to talk to you about a very long word today that you won't know that begins with E. And before he'd even finished his sentence, this boy just put his hand up at the back and he went, is it evangelism? (laughs) And this guy went, yeah, yes it is. (laughs) And I just... I cheered because it was just, that was just the symbol of, you know, we do worship to young people when we should be worshiping with young people and they shouldn't be partic- They shouldn't be consumers sitting there having it done to them. They should be participating and they should be teaching us about the nature of God and what God, who God means, what God means to them. And we should be listening to the truth through from their voices too. But I will never forget that day for as long as I live. And that's a good 25 years ago. Is it evangelism? Yeah. And the guy didn't know how to carry on. So he said, now off to your Sunday groups. And that was the <laughs> spot. He was completely stuffed. I love that story. You've told me that before, actually. And I, I'm so just sorry. Always, no, 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 no. I just love it. I love it when we see young people or even children grabbing, like actually just proving that God is at work in them. In the past, when we've talked about all age worship, this has often missed out key demographics within church families, mainly young people. How do we move from all age worship, which are, which are basically children's hour long services? to true intergenerational worship? I think you have to have young people involved from the outset. You know, when you're planning stuff, I think involving them at the decision-making, at the blue sky thinking, and even though this is a really awful time, there's also space now to begin to have those conversations, already start to have those conversations around when we go back into our buildings or while we're in our buildings or when church can begin to look something like it did before this pandemic. 
let's start having that conversation and really listen to what our young people are saying and authentically and genuinely and say, you know, how do we do this together? Because I don't think it comes from putting on stuff that's cool and groovy. It comes from engaging young people as participants and voices into their prophetic voices into the worship and getting them to do ideas. We have to involve them from the outset and not just kind of make some decisions and say, hey, kids, what do you think about this? But actually, with integrity, give them a blank sheet and see what they say. You've got to give up that the idea that everyone is going to be engaged and entertained through a whole service. That's just not the case. You know, a lot of time when I'm in church, I'm bored to tears, frankly, but I'm still there. And that's probably true of quite a lot of people, actually. It's the, the idea that we're going to be constantly kept happy and entertained when we're in church is something we've got to let go of. The children, for you know, for your seven-year-olds there, there should be bits where they're absolutely involved and they're singing a lovely song and they're happy. There might be other bits when they switch off. Well, actually, that's not a disaster. That is no disaster. And I think preaching is a particular challenge because it may be, you know, preaching is often where it is very, very child centric. I've preached sermons where I've started off speaking to the children with visual aids or whatever, but then the address has moved on a bit and opened itself up and had a slightly deeper message for older people. And the children might drift off a bit from that, but it's only three, four minutes that they're drifting off for. But it means you're able to offer something a bit richer to other age, to, uh, other age groups. One of the thing, key things that you've both mentioned is, is the planning aspect to involve young people in. Because I have to confess, I grew up in a, in a church where the young people were seen as the deliverers of the stuff for the children, which equally was frustrating as a young person when you're going, I know they're not engaging with this and I've got an idea that would engage them better, but you're not listening to me. You've got your formula. It starts with a conversation that says, not only let's aim it at young people, because I think there is, there is a truth in that, that but actually, how do we involve our young people in the planning aspect of this, which I think actually just starts to bring in and says, how do we use, we, we already said young people, are, we should give young people more credit, but actually they have means and ways of communicating with children that we sometimes overlook, let them plan, but also let them lead. But it's that planning aspect. Sometimes we miss out We go, I've got this great idea, but if I get a young person to do it, it'll be fab. But if I just get them to deliver it, if they've owned that, then they communicate that far more passionately. It's their opportunity to share their faith and their experience of who God is. And that's that's really key, actually, within the midst of that. It doesn't have to be massive planning and drop everything on them, but it just says, okay, this bit that we've asked you to do, could you plan this for me? We'll support you as we go. We'll give you the backup. We'll give you the kind of the, this goes down like a lead balloon, Like we'll take the wrap, like this is a safe space. But actually, how do we, how do we empower you and release you to be able to, to actually articulate this and to lead this well and the way you'd like to lead it, I think is really cool. We've got to maybe take it back even further into what you were saying, Ben, about young people's engagement and involvement in worship is that there has to be a culture shift within the broader church's mentality about actually wanting young people to contribute to our worship because I think often there are times when there is either fear or concern or worry that they might do something a bit crazy. But actually, our experiences of young people leading worship, for me, has been enormously positive and working, as as Bishop Philip has said, around the structure of liturgy has been extraordinarily powerful because they bring their interpretation of what that means to them, which can be completely life-changing for some, you know, adults who are like, oh, I never even thought of it that way. But I think we have to change. It's like, it's like talking about young people on our PCCs and hearing the voices of young people. They've been 
asked their opinion so many times about things and now they're wondering if anyone's really listening but i really think that we there needs to be a cultural shift you know in the minds of some of our churches around do we really want young people stepping up and doing this kind of stuff uh, you know is there an apprehension around it and actually let's see what young people can bring and see how that can change people's lives i mean that's I am beyond confident in in all that I've experienced of young people and in my life as spiritually and the impact that they've made. But actually, some people are a bit cautious of that. And we have to begin to have that conversation, I think, as well about young people, not just tokenistically getting up once in every six months to do a reading, but actually, you know, that they are woven into the worshipping rhythm of the of the church. Preach it. This is possibly a word that doesn't like to be used so much, but I think there's there's actually there's almost a, a space where we need to learn compromise in all aspects, in all age groups within the church. My colleague Sarah Earnshaw, shout out to Sarah. Ooh, we love you, Sarah. Who's is the children's work advisor in Blackburn Diocese? But we she tells a story, and I think it's nicked from an article from Children Youth Work magazine, and it was kind of released early last year. But it's the story goes that family sitting down to watch a film. And the dad sees, sees, kind of scrolls through Netflix, goes, Oh, die hard, son, die hard. Wouldn't it be amazing? And he sits there and he, and he goes, But dad, I'd, I'd really like to watch Lion King for the 400th time. <laughs> <laughs> and invariably the dad watches Lion King for the 400th time because actually there's, there's always a level of something of going, Do you know what? This isn't always the most helpful. Me doing what I want isn't always the most helpful or necessarily appropriate for children and young people. And I think there is something within when we come to worship that says, actually, we need to have a hat that says, okay, not it's not about what I want. And I'm talking about this is more congregation, not necessarily what I want, but what actually is accessible and what speaks to and allows children and young people. And then young people have to have the hat on that says what is accessible for and allows adults and children to worship. And equally, like we actually all need to share and own that compromise that says, we here as a family, how do we show up and help others to worship? How do we do that? And it's that idea that how do we show up? And, and I have to, I'll, I'll confess along the way when I was in my teens, I didn't necessarily always have that hat on, but it's something that I definitely learned as I got older that said, if we're to show up as the body of Christ, we're to serve each other. So what does that look like? And that sometimes looks like not always getting to do exactly what we think we should do in the way we should do it, but actually serves a different way and is is a different means. And I think that sometimes I think if I can be so bold, I think sometimes we get that wrong massively and miss the mark because it becomes about, I don't want to do it that way because I like it this way. And then we project things onto children and young people and go, but oh, but we can't do that, surely. I think that's a huge thing for us to, to grasp hold of to embrace as the church and go, actually, how do we serve one another and create this as a space where we all can, we can all show up and, and encounter God in our own way. And in a lot of churches, that's a big issue in a lot of churches where, you know, you can often have groups of adults who are very set in their ways about how worship mm. is going to be offered. Yeah. And they say, oh, we want lots of children, young people in this church, but they want it on their terms. They want to squeeze children, young people into church as they understand it. And that's a really difficult issue for a lot of clergy and a lot of church leaders because you've got to take people right back and say, hang on, what are we doing when we worship? What is this activity? Who is it for? And it's very good teaching, but it takes a lot of patience. And in some churches, it's just not a battle that people can win. And those aren't the churches that are going to be around in 30 years' time. So we've kind of moved our discussion into kind of how churches can start to reflect on, on what they do. So how can churches take a step back from their Sunday services and identify 
objectively how they are reaching and enabling engagement in worship services by young people within their church family. And if they do identify a gap in their main family service, how do they move to amend what they do to meet young people's needs without disconnecting others? That's a bit of a two-pronged question. I find a big issue here is honesty, actually. I did an exercise with some churches in one part of our diocese in which I mapped things like missing demographics and congregational change. And the people of these churches are absolutely livid with me. And so all I've done is look at your own data that you supplied. And they just kind of weren't quite being realistic about the true health of their church and who was missing. I think there's strategic decisions to make. Research shows that a lot of churches are growing when they adopt a multi-congregational model. Uh, This is especially true on estates. So some of the new exciting estates church plants are growing a congregation to about 40. And then it's getting stuck because that's a good size for a family-sized church and the relationships are strong. So what they're doing then is rather than trying to grow beyond 40, they're starting another congregation and another congregation and another congregation, uh, meeting in different ways, perhaps in different activities. And I think that's, you know, that's a possibility. And it's, you know, the battle with Sunday morning football for 12 and 13-year-olds is not one we're going to win, frankly. So let's be honest about that. And there can be very often be the case where, you know, Friday tea time in some places, Sunday afternoon in others, adopting a multi-congregational model can work really effectively. And the great thing about that is with your new congregation, you maybe haven't got the expectations of a Sunday morning. I mean, part of me regrets the kind of loss of everyone coming together on a Sunday morning, but actually it's more important to help people to meet with Jesus Christ in worship. I know some small churches where actually there aren't any young people, but their focus is very much on supporting the age ranges that they have in them. And yet a church down the road that they you know, may have a really good relationship with, might be in the same benefice, same parish, is doing some really great stuff for young people. And I think it's about finding strengths in our community where we can, where young people might be, you know, know, uh, engage in worship. But I think for me, if we're going to address how we might rethink worship, redo worship, it has to involve listening. I think we're really good to make plans and then we ask people what we should do. (laughs) But actually, we should ask people first and not just the young people, but everybody, I think, because we are if we're going to be intergenerational. Then let's talk intergenerationally. But listen really carefully, because often we don't do that very well. I don't think I think we we just want to listen for the answers that we want people to say and and actually aren't ready to hear the words that that are being, you know, spoken to us. So I think we need to take our time. I think we really need to listen and reflect. I think we really need to pray and then step forward. I don't, you know, as much as we really want to engage with young people in in worship, let's not look for a quick fix, but let's do this really thoroughly and really well and prayerfully. A really lovely turn of phrase that I've heard recently is that a church can have a youth ministry or a ministry to young people without any young people there because actually they are engaged in praying for that age group. And I think that's one of the things that we sometimes overlook. We go, because we've got none, we're not going to engage with them at all. And there's not going to be a ministry to that age group or for that age group or with that age group, whichever word you want to fill that gap. But actually, as churches, we should all be engaged in praying for age groups, even if they're not present in our kind of congregations and in our communities. Where can churches go for support, Uh, and guidance on creating 
intergenerational worship service that meets the needs of the whole congregation. Any resources, any helpful uh, books, podcasts, people? What I do when we talk to churches about this is I go and see a church that's already do is already planning it themselves and get them to kind of chat to each other. I think there's something really valuable about building community while we do this kind of thing. And whether there are churches that are in the same place or maybe a little bit further ahead down the line of thinking about intergenerational worship, I try and kind of hook them up appropriately, hopefully create some conversation and some support there for each other as well. Walsingham, you know, is, is very good at pioneering Eucharistic worship for children and young people that speaks to those different age groups, particularly youth and children's pilgrimages. There's a staff member there, Caroline Ward, who's always ready to help help congregations out. Praxis is an organisation that helps churches to develop their worship and does some stuff on all age as well. But actually the best is to find, you know, is to work in partnership with other churches, see, you know, what's good in an area around you as someone who's got some expertise and learn from them. And most dioceses will have the equivalent of our Board of Education in Blackburn, where there's, you know, staff paid for by those parishes who are experts in this. And they love nothing more than to walk alongside parishes and help them to develop their provision. There's certain resources that um, that have started to look at how do we in like how do we start to encourage those kind of um, the intergenerational conversations and and sort of uh, uh, sorry uh, talks within it. So I and, and it's it's a total big up to our board of ed, and it's not me that produces, so it's fine. Um, so I don't feel quite as if I'm being egotistical with it. But um, uh, but weekly app has started as his development of weekly app includes now an all age talk, which can start to start to introduce kind of what that and it's based around lecturing anyway so so actually you'll have your readings you'll have a you'll have kind of the beginnings of um an all-age talk which actually means that everyone is involved in that. even if your ch- your children go out your children and people go out to a group afterwards actually you're starting to begin that journey together and sometimes it's just making those those sort of small steps that go actually how do we start to do this um and and it's looking for resources that allow you to do your children's work the time, if you're electionary, uh, if you're a church that ties in with electionary, is you, that ties in with what we're doing. Um, and actually, how does it start to bring that all age element into into kind of our, our our the lot worship life of our church? And so I'd say that is that is that's a great resource. It's it's free as well. It's produced in 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 our in our neck of the woods. So it is that's a great place to start as well. So we're nearing the end of our podcast, but before we go, we have our weekly challenge feature for our guests to take part in. That is, of course, theology in 60 seconds. Bishop Phillips trying to put me off by making faces in the Zoom window. Thank you very much. Uh, the rules are for this are very simple. Each guest has only 60 seconds to explain an aspect of the Christian faith or a Christianese term because... As Christians, we do love our long special words, don't we? Um, but you have to do it in only 60 seconds. And to help them along the way, uh, I have helpfully provided a ticking timer um, to uh, uh, play along in the background. As ever, Ben will be on hand to judge each one based on sticking to the time. Um, so we need to hit 60 seconds uh, on the dot if we can. And the closer to that, the better and then how well each of our guests explains this term uh this week 
we would like our guests to explain the concept of faith. What is faith? Beforehand, we sorted out who would go first, and that would be Susie. How are you feeling, Susie? Somewhat um, anxious <laughs> and a little overwhelmed. Fine. <laughs> You'll be fine. You'll be absolutely I don't quite fine. know why you're using that voice, Ben. I'm not going to try to make you giggle. <laughs> I'm not going to look at you. I'm going to move my screen over. <laughs> But that Susie's was just going to pin herself at the front, so it's just there she can see. <laughs> okay, touche. Okay, <laughs> this is just a bit of fun. Yeah, and, right. um, <laughs> and uh, I'm sure whatever you say will be fantastic. Okay, um, right. Your time will start in three, two, one, go. Barry Scott was the man on the Sillit Bang adverts who used to shout, bang, and the dirt is gone. And he would make big, loud promises in the hope that the viewers would rush out, give Sillit Bang a try and have dazzling bathrooms. That's faith, listening to big promises and stories and trying it out for ourselves. Faith is about stepping out and trusting in something or someone, having heard the promises and the stories. And Sillit Bang isn't the same as God. It's even better. We have seen the stories through the Bible of God keeping his promises, turning up and never letting us down. We've listened to people in our lives who talk about God being faithful and making all the difference. And we hold on to the promises that God makes and has made that are as relevant today as they were hundreds and hundreds of years ago as we look ahead. We might not see God face to face, but faith tells us his goodness and love is scattered everywhere for all of us to see. We just need to trust him. Nice. Oh, okay. sir, I have had my ass warped. <laughs> <laughs> literally, I need to write these quotes down. It's literally magnificent. Don't put that. Do I need to bleep that? I mean, no, no, please don't. <laughs> put a beep. Put a beep. What? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That was very good. Very good. Uh, Fifty-seven seconds of sixty, so pretty close to sixty seconds. Thanks, Thanks man. Bishop Philip, you're next. How do you feel now after hearing? Oh, I, I've, I'm I've, I'm despairing, so I'm I'm relaxed because I know I've got no chance of winning. It's like when you crash at the beginning of the driving test, and you know you're not going to pass your test. I feel that sort of relaxation, which I did once actually. I did once crash in my driving test. I was brilliant after that. Bishop Philip, your explanation of faith in sixty seconds begins in three, two, one. Go. Being in theology is don't start with yourself, always start with God. So it's God who's faithful. God goes on being faithful to us, even though we rebel and sin and mistrust and move away from him. He's so faithful, he goes on loving. He's so faithful, he sends his son. He's so faithful, Jesus dies and rises for us. It's God who's faithful. And faith for us is how we as human beings respond to the faithfulness of God. It's how an individual assents willingly to the truth of the Christian faith. That means accepting that what is unseen is true. So even though we can't see or touch God, he's the source and ground of our being. It means accepting that what God promises to us will come to pass. So we live today in the joy and light of his promise coming. At the end of John's Gospel, Thomas, Jesus says to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen but yet believe. That's faith. It's believing without seeing. It's trusting with all our hearts.
wasted time. Winner. <laughs> he gets my vote. No, you get my vote. Totally Susie. No. I talked about Barry Cook from the Slip Bang adverts. You were down with the kids. <laughs> and, and she also had a moment in the middle where she said, Slip Bang isn't the same as God. It's yeah. even better. Yeah, that's probably her. Which I went, I want to see how you unpack this. That is the, um, line. That is the line. That is the line of the podcast. That's uh, <laughs> Slip Bang. <laughs> Not as good as God. <laughs> but it can clean your tiles okay. Yeah, bless him. That was um, 56 seconds. I know. Oh, good job, Bishop. I could have had it for more. Take this bit of the podcast. <laughs> it's all right, Ben. It's just whoever you choose, the other one's going to hate you. I have to confess for the for the creative creativity of using Silit Bang as a as a as a as a go to for faith. I am going to hand it to Susie, but I, partly because partly because I was like, I do not where you know where you're going with this right from the outset, <laughs> and it was genuinely brilliant. Just trying to capture your attention, I loved it. Just thinking about like faith for me is about promises, and that God always keeps His promises, and yet Silit Bang doesn't. Bang doesn't keep its promises, but, uh, but but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you both you both <laughs> preach the truth, so it's fine. It's all good. Sorry. Okay, I, now. I need to ring my mother. <laughs> <laughs> who's who's your line manager at Manchester Diocese? Uh, Deborah Smith, the legend. She's brilliant. The new director of education. Could you send me her email address? <laughs> Is that? I mean, yeah. Is that a loaded question? Oh, right. I guess, oh no! I've got, I've got a few things she needs to know. Oh, so sorry. Well, she probably knows them already. Actually, don't worry. I, I'm just going to go to the top and write to my mate Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy for you to do that. No problem. <laughs> Jesus is address at Jesus, right hand of the Father. Yeah. <laughs> PR seven. PR seven. Yes, of course. <laughs> So congratulations, Susie. Well done. Thanks. Um, I'm a bit uh, overwhelmed having beaten the Bishop of Burnley. It feels <laughs> exciting and a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> no, you both you both did absolutely fantastic. Yeah, you smashed it. Yeah, really, really good. So well done. That's all we have time for in this episode. So a big thank you to our guests, Bishop Philip North and Susie Mapledoran. You can find out more about them and the organisations they work for and all the resources we mentioned in our episode by following the links in the description. That's it for the first series of the YouthWork State of Mind podcast, but we will be back because we are going to be taking a break to plan and make some more episodes. We'd love to hear from you about what topics you'd like us to cover next series, and the best place to do that is by following us on Instagram at YouthWorkStateOfMind. On there, Ben is always on hand to answer any messages. So if you have any questions, comments or suggestions about this series or what you'd like to hear in future episodes, that is the best place to go. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your device so you can keep up to date with when we return with future episodes. And if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please do consider leaving a rating or a review in the Apple Store and sharing the podcast with those who you think would be encouraged by it. It would really, really help us out. That's all for this episode and this series. We'll see you again soon.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the YouthWork State of Mind podcast. It was a Blackburn Diocese Board of Education production. It was produced by Ben Green and David Harris with music from Purple Planet. You can listen to more of their music at purple-planet.com. Special thanks to Bishop Philip North and Susie Maple Doran for joining us on this episode. For more episodes and excellent youth work resources, visit our website, bdeducation.org.uk and make sure you follow us on Instagram at youthworkstateofmind to be kept up to date with youth work where you are.